Chris Gow was, you know, talking to Rich, Rich, good lord. Chris Gow. Chris Gow. Hi everybody and welcome along to another episode of X-Files Talk X-Files, the only podcast that has graduated from the Fox Mulder School of Humor. Lesson one, if you see a dead man lying face down in the snow, make a joke about it. Hi, I'm your host David Howard, and I'm here tonight with Tiffany Duvall and Garrett Duvall from xfilesnews.com. Hello to both of you, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Oh, great. I'm doing good. Thank you both for coming along again. Good to be here. So today we are going to do uh, Gethsemane through to Redux 2. So we're doing the free part of the story that ended Season 4 and begun Season 5. We'll get on to the episode discussion in just a moment. Uh, first, I think we do have quite a bit of news about the X-Files revival to talk about. So Tiffany, I will hand over to you. We do, we do. Okay, so spoiler warning uh, for... well. Uh, for anybody that still thinks that we don't divulge spoilers in this podcast, um, so if you if you don't want to know the news, you should definitely skip ahead maybe a few minutes. I don't know, three, four, or so. Uh, so the big news, yeah, minutes. <laughs> you think it's going to take me longer? <laughs> I was thinking it's an optimistic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Garrett's like just fast forward like minute fifteen. Um, so the big big news this week is Annabeth Gish has finally been confirmed for this revival. Uh, she's going to be in episode six, and we're super excited about that. Uh, Annabeth Gish is really a, not just an amazing actor, but a super sweet person, and we're just absolutely thrilled that she gets to be involved in this. So uh, as of now, Robert Patrick, as far as we know, is not involved. Boo. He, of course... I know yeah. he's he's working. He's he's very very busy. So Annabeth's working on a bunch of stuff too. But I'm guessing she's you know had some time to be able to squeeze into this revival. So we're super super excited to see her and see more Monica Reyes. And I don't know. I'm thrilled. I'm like I wish she was earlier than episode six. But I'll just have to live with you know the fact that I don't see her till episode six. So that's the first bit of news. And uh, let's see, next bit of news. It, oh, the um, episode names. We have episode names and writers now listed for episodes five and six. Uh, episode five is called Founder's Mutation. It's written by James Wong. And of course, episode six, uh, the title is My Struggle 2, and that's written by Chris Carter. And if anyone who's following this has been following the episode names, the first episode of this uh, revival series is My Struggle. So episode one is My Struggle, episode six is My Struggle to infer from that what you will, I suppose. So I'm going to infer that Chris is putting everything into the actual content of the episodes and he didn't have anything left to come up with a new title. So uh, that's yeah, why it's I'm, My Struggle too. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you got Redux and Redux too. Yeah, th this is where it started. Yeah. Oh, so it's go. the number two. Yeah. Like as well. Oh. <laughs> My struggle as well is See, what no, I thought you meant. Technically, technically speaking, I guess it's either or. See, I was thinking oh. maybe it was like the Dumb and Dumber sequel. And then, no, you know, no. The next episode was going to be something like My Struggle to Open Jars or something. Yeah. So you, what, panicked, what panicked me a little because I want like all the mythology and now, you know, you have My Struggle and My Struggle 2, and I'm like, oh my gosh, please tell me those aren't the only two mythology episodes of the sixth. That's what uh, that's what he's strongly hinted at in right? the interview that I've heard, yeah. Right? It's freaking me out. Like, I don't... <laughs> I love the Monsters of the Week. I do, I do, I really do. But I, like, two, three, four, and five feed Monsters of the Week, that might, you know, I don't know. 
It's starting to break my heart a little. That, among other things that are coming out about the plot line of some of these episodes. So, But we, we don't have to get into that. <laughs> we, we won't depress ourselves no. about the status of Mulder and Scully's relationship before we get to it. We will argue about that come January. Yes. Okay, so um, we're actually going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, we actually have had a listener write in with some questions. Uh, so thank you to Philippa Mann. We're going to do one question this podcast. We're going to do another one in the next podcast because you guys are going to hang around. We're going to record two back to back today. So the first question that we're going to talk about now is, uh, which do you think is the scariest episode of the show and why did it scare you? Hmm. So Garrett, do you want to jump in? Take this one. Oh my god! Yes, please do. Please really? jump right in. Yes. <laughs> the whole show. Out of the what, whole history yeah, of the show. The whole history. Whatever you think is the scariest. Oh, that's really hard. Um, Emily and um, Chris Carroll. Carol. I thought those were actually kind of terrifying. From uh, what the implications are, I mean, it's really where the underbelly of what's happening to Scully comes out, and it's just entirely disturbing what it. You know they're capable of and what the implications are further down the line and i thought that's really kind of an interesting take on it just because it's not that psychological scary where it's terrifying um, you know immediately so i'm thinking about it, it's actually pretty pretty bad yeah when you figure from the i mean it's for scully it's i mean it's essentially like medical rape so that's kind of that's a very heavy uh, subject line for those two episodes to kind of draw on. So, yeah, I could definitely see where most people wouldn't think those episodes are scary. But looking back, you're thinking, wow, that is super terrifying what the government did to her. I mean, it's probably the worst thing you could do to somebody. Yeah. And then you're never really able to get over it. I mean, you're having to deal with it emotionally. and it's It's pretty heavy, it seems. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think most people would choose those two as, as scary. But that's definitely... Yeah, I mean, they're not innately scary. They're not from what the syndicate and what, you know, all these different groups are trying to do. It's it's pretty bad. <laughs> My problem is I have, like, several. I don't know if I can... Well, let's let's do several, then. Lean it down. Can throw them out there? I, I can throw out one. Um, probably the most terrifying for me from a psychological standpoint was irresistible um because i mean the guy's a death fetishist and he it's just it's super freaky and you know he kidnaps scully and it's just very silence of the lambsy um so that was i don't know that's irresistible creeped me out big time when i saw it the first time that's one. From a from a gore perspective, I'd probably go with, uh, I don't know, scary. I mean, I, Home has got to be up there for most people. You know what episode really creeps me out? And Garrett's going to laugh at me for this because we talked about it earlier. Um, Detour. Creeps me the hell out. <laughs> it's it, sh- it shouldn't. But the, the freaking like, guys in the trees with the red eyes, it's like, it's creepy. Yeah, and this is you know, what I found difficult in trying to answer this question is there's so many creepy bits from different episodes. Yeah. And I was, you know, trying to think of what the answer would be and I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe invocation, you know, Detour does have some creepy bits in it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some earlier ones. Um, but none of them are, I don't think are really scary. Um, you know, Shapes, I know <laughs> I seem to be the only fan of that episode. Oh, and it's you did a, not. it's a it's a straightforward it's a straightforward, you know, B movie horror movie kind of thing um <laughs> it's kind of got some scary bits and it's kind of like a scary movie uh but the, the one that i have to go with as my scariest episode is grotesque because oh, yeah it it has the you know psychological thriller kind of element to it and it's not like a typical x-file where it's just a case that has to be solved and there's some weird shenanigans going on it actually <laughs> really does sort of put you in Mulder's state of mind and you kind of sort of question, you know, along with him, your own sort of sanity and what you perceive to be reality. Is that actually reality or not? And I guess Via Negativa does that later on in season eight as well. Yeah. I think it's hard with the X-Files when you think of in terms of scary because we have to keep in mind that we're now in the year 2015 
And when The X-Files aired, it was 1993, a lot of us were younger and more impressionable, and television was just very different then than it is now. Absolutely, yeah. Now you have Hannibal on TV, you have Breaking Bad on TV, you had Dexter, you have all of these shows that really kind of bring, you know, up the gore level and the fear factor in some of their episodes. So when you go back and compare The X-Files, it makes it, of course, The X-Files kind of set the stage for all of these shows to do what they did. But because The X-Files is is so much older than them, it's hard now in 2015 to think back and be like, oh, that episode was super scary. Because in 1994 or 5, that may have been terrifying. But in you know, 2015, you've got like, you know, the landscape is just, it's different now. You know, what was so scary to us back in the early to mid 90s is just different than what's scary now. That's true. That's true. Uh, Garrett, you said about the, um, the implication of what's down the road after Christmas Carol and Emily Mm -hmm. as to why you find those episodes to be scary. Um, I could say the same thing about Fight Club and the implications of that were quite scary. (laughs) Just in, t- just in terms of the quality of the show from then on, but it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for a second, I was like, is he really going there with this? Like, I was trying to gauge where you're heading with that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Philippa, for that question. We'll do another question from you yeah. in the next podcast. If anybody else out there has a question or something that they want us to discuss on the show, go to xfilestalkxfiles.com and kick, uh, click on the contact button. All right, so let's get into the three episodes we're talking about today. We're talking Gethsemane, Redux, and the imaginatively titled Redux 2. doesn't even get a subtitle. (laughs) So these are the episodes um, which sort of set the tone for what are we going to do now that we've shot the movie? Uh, How are we going to spend a whole year doing some more mythology stuff and then get back to where we're at. So, of course, Chris Carter's answer is, well, how about if we take season five and we put Mulder and Scully on a full circle sort of journey so that Mulder becomes the disbeliever. The skeptic, yeah. The skeptic. And then by the time we get to the movie, he's now the believer again, and Scully is going to do the exact opposite of that. So that's, that's the framework for the mythology in season five. And we open up on Gethsemane uh, with the what will actually be the cliffhanger of the season, that Mulder is apparently dead. And I got a little bit of deja vu from that. I'm not sure if anybody else did. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of cool elements in, these, in this three-parter. We have a lot of some people coming back from the very beginning of the show. Section Chief Blevins, who I don't think has been in it since the pilot comes back and is a major figure in these episodes. You know, we have a lot of Skinner. We have the introduction of um, Michael Critchgow, who becomes a bigger part of the show going forward as well. Um, But I think most significantly, this three-parter really does examine the notion of faith, more so than any of the episodes have done before. I think maybe Revelations, probably most up until Mm -hmm. now. But then once you have this three-parter, it's quite pronounced and we don't get so explicit an examination of faith up until the second movie. I think what I what I love so much about these three episodes is that, uh, of course, coming off of the previous season's finale, which I think was everybody kind of felt it was a little bit lackluster. This season, you know, you, you come into the end and it's like, oh, Mulder's dead. And yes, it's a little deja vu But being dead by, you know, shooting himself is, I don't know, it, it obviously everyone knew Mulder wasn't dead, but it was a very dramatic, you know, end to, to this episode leading up into Redux 1. Um, and, and the fact that they kind of show it in the beginning and then run through, you know, what happens during the episode... I think makes it that much more interesting. And probably the best part about it is, um, and Garrett may have, we joke about this because I'll always find the shippy parts of it, but... You're kidding me. I know, right? Shocker. <laughs> what what I love so much about it is you have Scully in this episode who is, you know, she, at this point, she knows that her cancer has metastasized and she hasn't told Mulder. And so when they're kind of, you know, arguing about this, you know, alien that they've supposedly found in the ice and they've got these ice core samples and they're trying to carbon date them and figure out, you know, is this really, you know, an extraterrestrial? 
And Scully's telling him, you know, that this is his holy grail and not hers. And when she says, you know, proving to the world the existence of alien life is not my last dying wish, that that is a very tragic message to him where Mulder, I mean, the whole time Mulder's just kind of like, everything's going to be fine. Everything's cool. Scully will be all right. She's kind of dropping hints along the way of this is really bad. This is really, really bad. And I'm probably not going to survive this. Um, And they're kind of arguing about this proof. And then they have the argument about proving the existence of God because she asks him, you know, what will proving aliens change for him? And he throws it back at her. Well, what will proving the existence of God change for you? You know, is, isn't the knowledge worth seeking? Um, you know, and he tells her, is it easier just to, you know, believe the lie if it is in fact a lie? So, you know, she, she's kind of pushing back at him because her life is coming to an end and she doesn't want the last thing that she does be running around chasing, you know, little green men. And it creates a dynamic between the two of them where she's kind of followed him all this time. And now she's kind of stopping and taking stock of her life and thinking, well, you know, this is, this is stupid to be worrying about all this when, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how much longer I have. So it's, um, it's very tragic to me. It's sad, I think. I don't know what Garrett thinks about it. What do you think, Garrett? You know, the first episode, um, I don't know. I, I actually wonder if at the time that it originally aired, if there was any concern that he actually was dead. Or if it, everybody just was like, yeah, it's a writing ploy. We get it. Well, surely by um, this point they knew he was off shooting the movie in the summer, so... Yeah, surely, right? So, I mean, it's kind of a weird setup. But, I mean, I get it. And it episode was really interesting <laughs> and it's funny looking back on it now i mean because i never questioned the show when watching it you know but now that we're i was started like re-watching it you pick up on all these little things that are just kind of funny about it um one thing i thought was you know hilarious is that um there were several things actually um like when uh, scully falls down the stairs yeah i just thought that was like the lamest, and I hate to say that, but like the lamest moment in the episode. She's chasing, um, Kritschka. Kritschka, yeah. Um, you know, into the stairwell. And then he, I mean, he's had a good lead at this point. And she checks the door, and then he opens it on her, and then pushes her down the stairs. And it's just kind of a, a funny scene because it doesn't seem like that's how it would have happened at all. And then, like, know when she has blood on like when bill walks in to bring her clothes yeah she has blood like all over the back everywhere but her face is mashed up and it's yeah. like it doesn't fit at all uh, how that goes um and there just, it was a bunch of things watching it that i just thought were humorous because like you know you had a question like how did they get the alien chunk of ice like off the summit of the mountain and they like have they just kind of like explain it away that it was a helicopter it was just, you know, two guys and one guy that had a shot to the, the chest. It's like, it's hard to believe how that would work out. You know, and then even like when Mulder goes to ascend the summit because, you know, the summit team isn't there to like guide them up. It's like they weren't afraid of like, you know, altitude sickness or anything. There was no adjustment period. I just thought that was really funny. But, um, <laughs> Garrett's <laughs> mad that it wasn't realistic. No, no, no. <laughs> It's, but yeah, in some ways, you know, like they're defrosting this alien and like there's like zero concern for like foreign, you know, viruses or anything. I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so yeah. horrible. They this, are not prepared. This is what happens when you have someone that worked in film, like <laughs> watch a television show. Because, of course, <laughs> Garrett, I, I don't know if everybody I mean, I, listening knows, but Garrett went to the American Film Institute with Avi. Of course, Avi went as a producer, Garrett went as a production designer. So when I have to, when I sit and watch The X-Files with Garrett, half the time it's their super insightful experience, and the other half of the time, like, I just want to tape his mouth shut because he, like, tells me all the things that I don't want to hear. I, even though I know deep down, like, how it's done and how it's shot, sometimes I just want to pretend that I don't know any of it. You know, but then he's like, well, but they didn't plan for altitude sickness. So, 
No, I mean, I, I was pretty sure <laughs> in, like, rewatching this that I looked up that, like, this was, like, the most expensive set, like, at the time for X-Files ever. Like, the scene in inside the summit. Yeah, in the cave. Yeah. Like, they used real snow and everything. It was, like, insane. I mean, there really wasn't any reason to do any of that other than just to do it. Other I mean, than I, Chris I've seen Carter really wanted snow. effects in other ways. I mean, that's <laughs> it was super crazy to think about. So, I mean, they really should be applauded for that. I mean, that's cool. I mean, I wish I could work on a set like that. That would be awesome. But, <laughs> yeah. I think I mean, the with Scully... It's, it's different, you know, yeah. I mean, from a child. I mean, like, when you're younger, it's like, I didn't even question any of that. So, I mean, it, it works. It's not to, to argue against it working, but I just thought I'd point those out because I thought they were kind of funny. I did think, to your point about Scully falling down the stairs, I did when watching it again today, when I saw that much blood on the back of her shirt, I was just like, really? Like, I mean, I've fallen down stairs before in a, I mean, similar fashion where you kind of, like, skate down on your back. And yes, you get some abrasions. That was an awful lot of blood on the back of her shirt for falling down some stairs. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It's just kind of funny because it was almost like an attempt to make her seem vulnerable that's what it was yeah that, that's yeah. exactly the problem was. is she was so strong right prior to that yeah or like right after that right when does she she chases him when she chases in him the, in the car it's after that yeah yeah that because she's she pissed like, that he throws her on the stairs yeah that was by far the best part of the entire episode oh, i love that Just, i love that scene. she runs out with the gun i mean she yeah. is pissed oh yeah and i, I it's amazing <laughs> because um Jillian plays it so well. I mean, she's she's screaming at him to get out of the car. She's like probably half of his size. I mean, it's it's such a great moment for Scully, especially since she's very angry about being tossed down a staircase. Um, yeah, I, I really I, I like that moment a lot. Yeah, um, I thought that was really great. I mean, Scully with the gun is always great, but yeah, definitely. It worked out in this case. But the, um, really, the biggest thing about this episode, though, is that the the largest point that this starts to make before it gets into Redux 1 is that Krishkow is telling them that it's not aliens. That's, that's like the hugest, you know, reveal that this starts kind of going down that path of, well, aliens aren't real. None of this is aliens. They're just chimera cells. It's not really a, hi you know, a, a hybrid alien, per se. It's all things that science just can't explain yet. And he's explaining to Mulder that, you know, you want to believe so badly and, you know, who could have blamed you because of what happened to him with his sister. And so, I mean, Krishkow starts spinning this tale that basically says to Mulder, everything that you've believed your entire life is false. It's wrong. It's all a lie. And Mulder is having the hardest time believing that and coming to terms with it. And one of the strongest parts of the episode is when Scully, of course, is, believes Krichgau. And in the end, she and Mulder get into the argument where he, you know, kind of yells at her and he's like, what the hell did that guy say to you? You know, that you believe his story. And that's when Scully drops the bomb that uh, Krichgau told her that the men behind the hoax gave her the disease to make him believe. I mean, that was just... The first time I ever saw that episode, I remember just, like, my heart seized at hearing that. That was horrible. You know, and Mulder just walks out. I mean, he, he can't even talk to her after that. And so you're thinking of all the things she's going through with the cancer and, you know, Bill Mulder, of course, is pissy at him because, you know, well, where is Mulder through all of this? You know, where is this knight in shining armor you've got? He's never around. Um, you know, and, and when Scully comes clean to him and, and not comes clean, but I mean, tries to talk to him about it and tell him why you know, she's so upset and why she's starting to believe the story. He just takes off. You know, he just, he can't even look at her, can't even talk to her. You know, and of course that leads up to the end with him crying in his apartment before, you know, supposedly at this point we think that he's, you know, possibly shot himself. Um, that, for the whole episode, the fact that it sets up that it's the big bad government and not aliens it starts to become, I think, for the audience, a little more realistic, and uh, I don't know. It's it's it. That's a very powerful sentiment, kind of drawing it away from the supernatural aspect and putting it into, you know, a, a believable, perhaps 
aspect of, hey, there's this shadow government that, you know, is doing all these horrible things. Yeah, and of course there is, but there's still aliens there too. Right, right. Which, you know, at this point, you know, Chris Gow is still... Cancer Man later will will come along and set that record straight, but... Yes. Yeah. I just want to uh, really touch on the... Um, what Krichka explains is how they set up the hoax of the alien. Because there's always been something that's bothered me about that, is that he explains how the, the body was frozen in place gradually over the course of about a year and stuff. Yeah. And that's fine, but <laughs> <laughs> to me, you have the whole bit where everybody gets shot on the mountain... And the alien has been cut out of the ice, but Babcock has it underneath his tent, hidden in the snow. <laughs> and it made much more sense to me. Why didn't they just do create something in the ice that looks like it was a three-dimensional body or something there? If they know they're going to then kill everybody on the mountain anyway, they can just cut that out of the ice and then replace it with this one that they actually have built and frozen, which is hidden underneath Babcock's tent. They just do a bait-and-switch thing with it. Why do they have to freeze everything into that wall when they're going to do that anyway. It just seemed redundant to me. Oh my gosh. You, see, I told you, you and Garrett are like the same person. Well, you're just, I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know what the reason is, but just, uh, just it was that kind of little funny. Bit He's like, I've hidden it underneath my tent. It's like, what? Where did that come out of? It was a little <laughs> bizarre, but sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that he felt the need to do that. <laughs> you're like, okay, let, we'll go with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it's to hide the channel they had to have to the stuff in slowly over time. I mean, you know, even the ex, you know, the surveyors found it and they didn't understand what it was and just disregarded it anyway. So, I mean, it, I guess it doesn't really matter. Okay, so we we pick up then in uh, the start of yeah. season five. Yeah. And um, Mulder is apparently dead, but obviously we quickly realize that he's not. We see what did happen and that Scully is covering for him. And then we go into this huge hearing, which spans this whole three episodes mm-hmm. as to, you know, what it, what is actually going on. Scully is trying to relay the conspiracy to her superiors at the FBI. And she feels like there's somebody within the FBI who is working against them. And she quickly suspects that it's Skinner. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much, you know, the big thing in this episode is her mounting distrust of Skinner mm-hmm. whilst Mulder is off getting answers in the fields, yeah. leaving her behind yeah. as While per Mulder usual. Is off, <laughs> off doing the ditch, ditching her as, as normal. Um, yeah, well, you know, in the beginning, of course, is right after he's murdered the guy. Where does he go? Straight to Scully's apartment. She gets home from work and what's Mulder doing? Creeping, sitting in her chair, waiting for her to take her shirt off. Um, you know, so she, she's starting to undress and he's all, keep going, FBI woman. Like, he's lucky she didn't shoot him in the face. Like, some random dude's just in her apartment. Um, you know, and, and of course he starts telling her what he did. And you see that she's getting very nervous when she realizes that he's killed the guy that was surveilling him. And it's, she's still very suspicious until... He starts explaining to her about the list of phone numbers uh, that that the guy had that was surveilling them, and how the number was the switchboard operator at the FBI. And I think at that point, Scully starts thinking, you know, maybe Mulder's not so crazy about all of this, and you know, Mulder's kind of, you know, even though they were arguing in the last episode, he's obviously come to her because he needs help, and he convinces her to lie for him. Which really irritates the hell out of Skinner later. That, you know, Scully has just decided to do this. Um, but so that's when they kind of come up with the plan that Scully is going to ID the body of the man that he killed as Mulder. And he tells her, you know, that he's basically, he's, he, his reasoning for ditching her and being off investigating is that he tells her that he's not going to allow the, the treason you know, to prosper if they've done this to her. So in his way, he is doing these things for her. It's just that, you know, rather than being there with her while she's, you know, enduring all of this, you know, cancer treatments and stuff, he's off, you know, to the ends of the whatever, trying to find a cure for her. And the problem with that is, is, I mean, how does he know she's not going to run out of time? 
I mean, he has all this faith, so to speak, that he can, you know, get whatever he can to help her. But, like, I wonder if at any point is he thinking, is is the time away worth the time that he's missing? Um, you know, because, I mean, he doesn't know that he's, obviously we know because it's a television show, but he doesn't know that he's not going to just leave and then come back and she's dead. So, yeah, but I mean, I think that's a lot of, I mean, he's got to, he's the type of person that has to do something. He's got to yeah. fix it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think there's any question that he wouldn't want to stand around and do nothing. I mean, he's got to go out and do these things and uncover the truth and yeah. understand what's happening. Yeah, and fortunately he does because her family, Scully's family, has kind of come to terms with the fact that she's going to die. And so they, you know, they're kind of pushing back against this idea that she can save herself or Mulder can save her because they're just kind of like, you know, let her have some peace, let her, you know, let her have some dignity. Like, why, why are we making the last weeks of her life about the X-Files? Um, you know, but from Mulder's perspective, he's I mean, seen not that just the as... X-Files. I mean, his crusade. I mean, that's really been a lot of it. Yeah. Well, they I don't blame think it's him. so much that, yeah, they blame him for everything that's yeah. happened. Of course. Yeah. What, what really shocked me about this episode, one of the things that shocked me, because when it first aired, obviously we didn't have the X-Files in HD. And I don't even think I had cable at the time that this actually came on. And so I was watching it on, like, you know, the snowy television where you could, like, barely make out everybody's <laughs> faces. Uh, and so when I was watching it again tonight in HD on Netflix, when Cancer Man breaks into Mulder's apartment and finds the picture of Mulder and Samantha, I remember seeing that scene. Today's the first time I saw the tear track its way down his cheek. That, like, blew me away. What was funny about that, actually, I thought was hilarious, is that, you know, he breaks into the apartment using a, one of those picklock guns. Yeah. And then later in the episode, Mulder uses a paperclip to break into a door on the fourth level. I was like, yeah. I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> the chances that he's a master picklock uh-huh. beyond belief. Yeah. Um, I really hope not- the government doesn't have that kind of security now because it's not very effective. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, of course, Scully calls up to Holly and has her search the phone records to see, you know, what number that's routing to. And Scully is told that it's an executive extension and that Scully is probably already beginning to distrust Skinner, but asks Holly, you know, if A.D. Skinner is at that extension. And Holly says, you know, yeah, he would be one of the people that has access to that. And so Scully is kind of full-blown believing now that Skinner is the mole inside the FBI and goes oh, and he then makes it, it easy because yeah. it's like all creepy. I know. <laughs> he doesn't have to be a creeper. <laughs> Poor Skinner. Poor Skinner. He later tells Mulder, you better not forget who your friends are. Yeah. Well um, he's he's in a rock he's between a rock and a hard place in this episode anyway. I mean it's just what two or three episodes previous was zero sum where he's out and about cleaning up after the bees and stuff and Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Scully yeah. was obviously absent through all of that, but you know, by the end of it, Mulder kind of knows that he's made a deal with the Smoking Man and uh, that he is kind of doing some stuff behind the scenes, but he's actually on their side. Yeah. I do like, though, that Skinner confronts Scully about knowing that she's lying. Because Skinner knows that, you know, Scully is kind of... she she That's totally against her personality. Um, to weave a lie that large like that and he knows she's doing it and he knows that she's doing it for Mulder but he just can't figure out why like what would possess her to put herself in that much danger and he's really trying to talk to her because he's he's trying to help them you know so he keeps trying to explain to her you know if you keep doing that he's basically trying to say if you keep doing this I can't help you you know, I mean, you you can't keep spinning these lies, and that's when she tells him that she's lying to get to the truth. You know, that in this case, doing it the right way, doing it, you know, the way that an FBI agent should and all of these things is not going to help them. That she actually has to lie just like they've been lied to. You know, so I, I like that Skinner kind of confronts her about that, and is trying to push her into, you know, telling him where Mulder is, and she just 
she's not going to do it. I mean, before, of course, Scully is sent to kind of report on Mulder. And it's obviously clear by now that there's, you know, she she is full-blown on his side. And she may not always agree with him, but she will definitely lie for him. You know, they, they have no control now over um, getting her, obviously, to tell them anything about him. And then, of course, she goes to testify... And then she's going to name Skinner and says that she has proof because she's compared her DNA to the Chimera DNA to show that she's been exposed, you know, of course, to, to the same virus cells. Um, but before she can out Skinner, of course, she gets sick and kind of starts to pass out. And then I guess what the very end, Mulder it, gets the little vial from the Pentagon and the lone gunman. No one thinking to, like, empty all the contents. It's like, oh, it's just water. It's just deionized water. Which you is think really insane. You, yeah, I mean, you would think so, that you would, like... Surely work. they would have, like, looked at every little inch of that. Right. Yeah, you know, like, shaking it around it, a little bit. shaking <laughs> it. That's definitely a part that I found completely unbelievable. That I mean, his partner is dying. This may be her only chance of survival. And they're not even going to turn it over and, like, tap the bottom of the vial. Um... Yeah, that, no, I didn't. Their investigative ability was very limited right then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of this episode, too, is, you know, they further went over what um, uh, Chris Gow, you know, that, I mean, this is all um, a deflection from the truth. That, you yeah. know, essentially, we just needed money. We wanted to develop war chests. And, you know, that there was undetectable by a warfare and during the Gulf War and all missing people were part of, you know, these test subjects. It was all about control. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, it was a really a huge shift in, you know, everything really. Yeah. And what's been played up until this point. So, I mean, it was really, it was kind of cool to think about. And I mean, especially using like current events at the time. Yeah, and these three episodes really could have been like a movie themselves together. I mean, it, it was definitely the, I mean, bringing the government aspect into it, talking about all the way back in, um, they went back to, I don't remember how far back they went in history when Chris Guy was telling his story. 1945. It, yeah, it was, it was way back. I mean, it was before Vietnam. And so they're talking about, all of these things that the government has done over time, and it's just, just like, mind-blowing. That all this time you're like, oh, it's aliens, and then you're like, oh my gosh, the government is full of awful, terrible people. Well, no, that that whole sequence is so cool, where he is basically probably got about five or six pages of just pure Kritschkow dialogue, while you have yeah. these different, you know, newsreel clips playing and stuff, and as they're walking through the Department of Defense, and... Uh, it's basically just a walk through 20th century American history and just yeah. saying, you know, this is what people believe is the truth and this is how it all ties into this government conspiracy aside from the whole anything to do with aliens. And, of course, it goes back right to the end of World War Two because that's when, mm -hmm. in Paperclip, where you have all of the Nazi scientists coming over to America and continuing their work in secret. Yeah. But yeah, that, that whole sequence is so cool. And I think it's a lot of um, influence from the movie JFK in that as well. I mean, it was definitely, it was a great moment. It's just, it, it's funny to me though, it, you know, because when they write scripts, obviously they have to make things work, but it's insane to think that the government allowed somebody in a monitor molder that had level four access. It seems beyond funny. You know, it just was a, coincidence that he could then get a card that could take him to the answer and it happens to be the highest security you can get into a advanced you know research for bio storage <laughs> i was like what? where's the connection for that guy i mean how he obviously didn't work in advanced research so <laughs> why would he have level four it's just it's pretty funny yeah well and then of course after redux 2 we go into Mulder's whole return from the dead when he Go and again, deja vu goes into the ER and starts like screaming and yelling and asking for Scully. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the doctors are like, dude, calm down, you know? Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, he's just like, where is she? I want to see her right now. And they're thinking, what? Who? what is this psychopath? Is he like an, you know, angry ex-husband? Or like, I mean, they're not sure how to take this guy. Um, you know, yeah, then of course... They are a little in, like, yeah. insane. Like, if I ever went to a hospital and it was like that, I think I would murder everybody. But yeah. there's... Nobody wants to help him whatsoever. Yeah. And the doctor's just... kind of short with him, and it's like, oh yeah. my gosh, just punch him in the face and move on. I feel like they, I feel like though the backstory. I feel like they are that way because Skinner is already there, and Skinner wants to know. Skinner says you look pretty good for a dead man, and Mulder's like, "I'm only half dead," which is just such a poignant chipper moment there. Oh my gosh! Well, because his other half's in the hospital. Hush your mouth. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the little cat fight's hilarious, though. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I love it when he and Skinner are wrestling in the... Uh, Mulder fights with people in hospitals all the time. <laughs> it's, like, it's a running theme for him. That's so funny. Um, but then, of course, Mulder tells Skinner what he and Scully have found out, and that's that the disease that she was given was given to her by someone connected with the FBI. And Mulder tells Skinner that they believe that there is a mole working there, so... And, of course, Mulder doesn't believe that it's Skinner, but Skinner's like, well, he he clearly knows that Scully was about to out him, <laughs> even though, you know, he was the wrong person to be outing. Yeah, and there's no sort of mention of the fact there between Skinner and Mulder that they've had this conversation just a few episodes before that he made a, <laughs> he made a deal with CSN, despite advising Mulder not to. And... Yeah. So that's kind of frustrating a little bit, but... uh... Yeah, and then Cancer Man, you know, is telling Mulder, oh, I'll help Scully, you know, you just need to be loyal to me and the syndicate, and, um, you know, basically telling Mulder that he needs to make this choice or whatnot, and um, probably one of the sweetest moments in the episode is when Mulder goes to see Scully in the hospital, and Scully is trying to convince him to lay the murder of the man that's in Mulder's apartment on her. Um... Yeah, because she's telling him that basically she's going to die anyway. What does it hurt to just lay the blame on her? And he's, like, shocked that she would even suggest such a thing. So that was a very sad and sweet moment. And then, of course, Scully goes on to say that she thinks that Skinner's the mole. Um, And, you know, of course, Mulder disagrees with her and and then gets into the fight with... um, Is it this, this episode that he gets in the argument with Bill... Oh when yeah, Bill this Scully. is the one where Bill is like Garrett's yeah. favorite Play part. You know, it was awesome. <laughs> one was sad son of a bitch great. speaking. Yeah, sad son of a bitch is like yes. Yeah. I hear it, and Bill was kind of in the right in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, is he really wrong? I mean, Mulder did drag him into this, and it's he's not gotten anything out of it. And I mean, it, it definitely plays in the part where Mulder's questioning everything. You know, was this worth it? Was this whole crusade? Is he ever going to get anything out of it? Yeah. You know, what's the cost of getting things out of it, you know? Um, and that That's such an important part, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know, this episode was really awesome and horrible at the same time for me. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, Scully, you know, it's like, they lay it out that, you know, they um, they find the, the metallic disc that's going to cure the, uh, Scully's cancer. Yeah. And well, Cancer Man, that cancer man tells them that it's there. Immediately. And so they're like, well, it didn't work. And then later in the episode, when yeah. it's over, it's like, it's left ambiguous that maybe her turn to faith kind of helped it along. And I was like, well, she's been very not that. And then at the last second, she has a, a turn of faith, and it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe it is the hand of God that helped bring her back. When we know it's the metal disc. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing I always liked about the show is that everything is ambiguous. You know, yeah. you know the same way that uh, I want to believe everything is quite ambiguous there as well. But you know, not just when the show is dealing with faith, but when it's dealing with other issues as well. You know, the it's very rare you get an episode that does close with finality. You know, hey, but the thing that really irked me is because what in um, I think it was just a couple episodes ago she you know was talking with the priest at the table. And she is like, you know, I can't believe in the lie. I can't just turn it off, you know, and just believe to believe. And then, yeah, you know, now that she's closer to death, she does just that. 
And it was kind of, it doesn't feel as genuine as it could have if she had just not felt that way. <laughs> yeah, I think they, they were it. trying it's, to show... Play up her character's religious perspective, and I mean, yeah. it comes in later into you know into perspective as well. But it's it's such a quick turnaround, and it doesn't that it doesn't feel as genuine as it could have. Right. Well, I think what they're trying to do is basically say that her fear her fear of dying and her fear of leaving behind her family and Mulder is what's causing her to kind of grasp for whatever it is that can kind of make her feel better. So I think that I, I I agree with you because I think Scully is a very strong character and I honestly, I don't see her behaving that way even in that circumstance, but I can see, I can see how most people probably would and how that, the way in which it was written so that she would do that. Um, yeah. I think it's all about, you know, how, over the course of these three episodes she has to become more open to things that maybe she found harder to buy into at the start of this story you know whether right. whether that is you know her return to faith or whether it is the whole idea that maybe there is this global conspiracy out there and these people are in the shadows controlling stuff and doing all these evil things to people despite all the evidence she's seen up to this point you know she always kind of rejected it to an extent she didn't really fully buy into it and that yet with Critchcow coming along and everything else that's happened to her she's maybe become a little bit more open to that and I think it's just mm-hmm. you know all of these things add up to sort of nudge her in that direction that Chris Carter's trying to go where she becomes the believer for season yeah. five you know we'll see that come patient x you know you know yeah that's true yeah I like that in this episode um, you know, Cancer Man shows shows up and basically kind of parades Mulder's sister around, and he's basically trying to he offer to let parade her. Well, he does. <laughs> Come on. I mean, that, that's a very important part. I I, I liked this ep- these two episodes for that very reason. You got to yeah. see Cancer Man really kind of open up. I mean, he's not doing this to get at him, to maintain him as a pawn. I mean, he genuinely cares. I mean, I think that's the purpose of the <laughs> photograph and the tear and all that no, stuff. That's I mean, true. That's true. I, yeah. I like, I mean, I don't ship Mulder and Scully, but I love the relationship between Cancer Man and Mulder in these two episodes and yeah. how he's trying, well, he's trying to, to give a little him. bit of leeway yeah. and protect him, you know, yeah. and that costs him, you know, and this supposedly yeah. costs him. He's trying to bring um, him into the family business. He is, yeah. And I think well, in his own... He says work for me. He doesn't say work for the syndicate. Well, I think in his own I way... The implication is, is that, I mean, because he's not really with the syndicate at the same... He's kind of playing his own game. Yeah, he plays to, He plays both sides there. But I think, I definitely, I do agree with you in that Cancer Man, in his own kind of twisted way... He obviously loves Mulder. We, you know, Mulder is his son, and he wants to protect him. And so he feels at this point that if he keeps Mulder closer to him and gets Mulder to quit the FBI and come join him and work for him, that he can help protect Mulder. Um, There's something about the sort of tone, the vibe of that little sequence there, which is reminds me of... um, uh, six extension to Amor Fati, where he's Mulder's having the dream about living in this perfect neighborhood and cigarette smoking man just lives a few doors down and yeah. deep throat and stuff is there. <laughs> it, it just seems like it, it's just so bizarre to have this whole conspiracy stuff that is going on, but then to see it in that real world sort of context like that. They're just walking through some nice uh, neighborhood in Washington, you know, there's yeah. probably some little restaurants there, people are eating out on the sidewalk and stuff. and you're fanficking right now. <laughs> you, you're literally you're writing fanfic on the podcast right now. <laughs> I'm so not. <laughs> I that. Not the kind of fanfic yeah, see, that Garrett, you like, anyway. Yeah. Well, no, but Garrett Garrett just said he would read it, so there you go. I read it. And Mulder's not buying it at all. I mean, he he basically Mulder is so focused on curing Scully. That he threatens Cancer Man, and he's basically like, if she dies, I'll kill you. And he says to him, I don't care whose father you are, you know, he says, I'll put you down. Um, 
you know, so I, because he's shocked to find that Samantha, you know, has, you know, called him father. That he's right. The, yeah. I mean, his face when that reveal comes up is pretty yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's it's just so funny because he's he's searching, searching, and here she is, and he's like, "Well, go back to the car. I don't, I'm not going to do anything." I mean, because Cancer Man didn't really prayed. He stayed in the car the entire time. Yeah. But the thing is, like, Mulder, while shocked by all of this, he, it, it's, this is a case where the choice comes down to learning about his sister and what happened and all of that and saving his partner. And Mulder chooses to do whatever he has to do to save Scully. You know, he, he this is a case where, yes, he's been ditching her. Yes, he's been going off and doing all these things. But his ultimate goal is to get to the bottom of who did this to her and why and how to solve it, how to fix it and save her life. That's, that is his driving force in these three episodes is her, even if he's not there the whole time. Well, yeah, that's why he's off running around. He's trying to get the answers for her. And that's, yeah. you know, that's why he goes into the department of defense because he's trying to find the cure for her because he believes that it's there because they're the ones that gave her the cancer. And then, it, and then, of course, Mulder figures out he's Mulder starts to unravel the conspiracy because Blevins stupidly calls Mulder into his office and is like, "Hey, Mulder, why don't you implicate Skinner? Like, who does that?" Not and just doesn't think him. he's doing Mulder a favor as a friend. Yes, <laughs> but like, who does that? <laughs> like, that thinks, was the worst. Who would yeah. ever say that? That's when somebody has a, to say as a friend. They're definitely not very, your friend. Unintelligent, <laughs> guilty person, apparently. Um, I don't know. I mean, Levins was kind of funny because, you know, when he first found out about Scully's, um, you know, cancer in the, the boardroom, I mean, he actually yeah. looked saddened, you know, and I thought yeah. that kind of made his character a little more like he's part of this, but he's not necessarily willing to go as far as yeah. people would. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't. Well, ha- think, he doesn't have a yeah. clue what's going on. I don't think. I no, think he's, he's terrified. He's the like, man on the inside. Him. He's giving in, leaking information from the FBI, but he doesn't have a clue who he's involved with or anything. Right. Yeah. He's just getting a little bit of extra money on the side, and he's fine with that. Yeah. And apparently, he's supposedly is. Uh, you know, at the end of the, it's so funny because he gets shot at the very end in the, in yeah. the stump. And then they try the to chest. play it off like he, yeah, or yeah, in the upper chest. Yeah. And try to play it off by like planting the gun in his hand. It's like he couldn't shoot himself in the chest like that. I mean, that'd be extraordinarily hard, you would think. Not, Not to mention the they're likely. in the FBI. They're in, they're in the FBI where literally the people that investigate a crime scene to determine if a gun has been placed all work there. Right. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> No one would buy that. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And then, of course, the Cancer Man also gets shot. Who gets Um, shot by Quiet Willy. Uh, I don't know if his name is actually included in any of the episodes (laughs) or even in the credits, but... Is that really his name? <laughs> that that's his name what? according to you know the production sides and stuff. What? Quiet Willy. Uh, this you know this is the first time that he died. I mean, so far he has died and apparently come back three times now. But huh. uh, you know, and the way that they set this one up, the, the, there was no body, but there was so much blood loss that nobody could have survived. Whatever you know, yes, obviously it, <laughs> it leaves the door wide open for a return. But you know. This is the second episode of season five, and he was absent for the entire rest of the season until he shows up uh, doing a Walter White hiding out in a cabin in the snow somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So you get Cancer Man getting shot in the chest, Blevins get shot in the chest, and then, you know, at the end, magically, Scully is finally in remission. So. Magically. Magically. <laughs> and then Mulder cries at the end. It was a metallic you know? disc. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, science. Well, yeah, I mean, when so. you know, if you find this little chip and you put it in your neck and it cures you of cancer, wouldn't that sort of set you up to start believing that maybe it's not all about just the science yeah. that you're familiar with? You know, it's funny right. with me. I know, I know we're going to talk about this episode much, much later, but since we're talking about Redux 2 right now, with what... What cracks me up later when Scully goes to give birth to William is when she and Monica have this elaborate plan 
to go and like hide in Georgia in the middle of nowhere to have this baby. And they never once think that this chip that ha Scully has in her neck that's been used to give her cancer, that's been used to track her movements before, and no one seems to think, oh, they'll just totally track her through the chip in her neck. And yet people still ask, how did all the aliens know where they were? <laughs> all right, I think it's time for the quiz. All right, so five questions. Jump in if you know the answer. Okay. Question one. What is the name of Scully's priest? Father McHugh. Correct. Oh my yeah. gosh. Why do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, another name question. What is the name of the man that Mulder killed in the apartment above him? Oh, hold on. That's got to be uh, Scott Ostrelshoff first. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ostrelshoff. I, I don't remember his last I, name. I assume you're saying... Isn't off, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, do you want to yeah. hash on that? Or shall I just assume it's like, that it's... Uh, is it Osselhoff? It is Osselhoff. I'm just going to... There you go. Garrett, I'm just going to chalk that up to mispronunciation like we did Yeah, he basically Garrett. got it. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember it because of the card. Yeah. <laughs> not, not well with names, obviously. In Gethsemane, the tagline at the beginning of the episode was changed to Believe the Lie. Oh, damn but it. what was it changed to at the beginning of Redux? I don't remember. Uh, a lie to find the truth. What was that? Is it a lie to find the truth? Something similar to that. Oh, it's gotta be... <laughs> I what? didn't watch the tagline because I skipped the credits today. <laughs> I believe the truth. No. Oh, believe the lie. No, believe the lie was guessing. Oh, that was the, the no! first. Yeah. No. I just said that. You did. <laughs> it's not the truth is out there either. Oh, come on. Mm. Uh, I don't know. All lies lead to the truth. Oh, man. Oh. So. <laughs> Someone out there is going to hear this and be like, you guys suck. That was so easy. <laughs> Where does Skinner go to gain information regarding the conspiracy? He goes to a hearing on a certain topic. What's the topic? Oh, crap. Mm. Mm. Man... <laughs> I don't. I, okay. I have no idea. He goes to a hearing on the ethics of human cloning. Oh, that's right. Like you knew that. <laughs> I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, oh, I remember that. No, he was on ESPN. That's all I could. I probably skipped that part too. That <laughs> was like skimming. Okay, and if either of you don't know this one, I will be embarrassed for you. Uh, <laughs> what was the name of the congressional lobbying firm that has paid Critchgow? Oh my god. <sighs> that... That... Okay, hold on. It's a name that pops up several times after this. I know. Wait, is that the... Does he, he mention it in Redux to you? That we're talking about the Rosh? Or Rosh? You're so close. <laughs> You're uh, so, so close. Rosh. It's got to be something like that. Is it Rosh? It's Rosh. Thank you. Rosh. <laughs> I only knew because he said Rosh. I, like, I had no idea other than that. Technically, Gary gets that one. Oh, this is oh, so glad for a team. That was good More. teamwork. I'm, I'm glad we got there. <laughs> all right, three for five. <laughs> we only we got missed. three out of the five. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Garrett. Uh, Thank you. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, if they, if they, well, it's... they want to send you abuse based on your performance in the quiz. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's getting more and more likely. So they can reach X-Files News on Twitter at 
X-Files News. Um, my Twitter is at T Deval, D-E-V-O-L, if you want to tweet me and yell about how you know all the answers to these questions and I don't. Um, I don't know, Garrett, would you like to give your personal information? <laughs> no. It's going to get bombarded. There are going to be thousands of people that just want to ask me aside for the super comment. In case anyone wants Garrett's information, go to xfilesnews.com. Go click on the staff page. His email is listed. Or just, or just Google him. Yeah, yeah just Google, Google his me. name. His Facebook and everything else will pop up. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, find me on Facebook and Twitter. Or the probably easiest way is just go to xfilesxfiles.com. The links are there. Uh, please go ahead and send me your questions so that we can have something else to talk about um, in a future show. Yeah. And whilst you're on their website, please click on the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, that'll help support the show and our costs. And that's it for this week. Uh, we will be back next Friday, and we're going to do Unusual Suspects through Kitsungari, and Tiffany and Garrett will be back for that as well. That's it for our show. Uh, I'm going to go lie down in a dark room and reevaluate everything that I used to hold to be true. I did, I think I probably would